are listening to the Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church, where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. excited to see you. I've been looking forward to this night for a couple of weeks now. We had to delay our start because we had a church-wide night of worship and prayer last Wednesday, which was awesome. It was great to see so many of you there. Uh, But I'm really, really thankful that you've chosen to join us here tonight. If you're new with us, I just want to introduce myself. My name's Adam, and I'm the college pastor here at Prince. absolutely love getting to do what I do. I love these nights. I love these opportunities to gather together. And if you are kind of joining us for the first time, or perhaps you've been once or twice I just want to get this out in front. Like, What you need to know about us from the get-go is that we are a Jesus people. We are passionate about Jesus Christ. What we say here at Prince a lot is that we desire to be a people who are passionate about experiencing, enjoying, and expanding the presence of God to our neighbors and to the nations. What that means is that we believe that God is someone that we can actually know and that we desire to be in personal relationship with him and to know him, to walk with him, and to join him at work here in this world. That is who we are. That's what we're about here at Prince. The way that we've said that a lot this year as Prince's college ministry, we've kind of adopted the banner for the year that we want to be a city on a hill. Some of you have those t-shirts, you've repped that, you've seen that around campus perhaps, that we want to be a city on a hill. We take that language directly from Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 5, there's recorded a conversation where Jesus is instructing his disciples and his followers in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5 verses 14 and 16, Jesus says to a group of his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that is what we want to be about. We as a college ministry desire to join in in what God is doing here in our city and to the ends of the earth. We want to shine brightly for all to see, but not so that someone would make much of us, but so that someone could see the glory of King Jesus. That is what we are about here. We want to see the presence of God, the kingdom of God, advance on our campuses, in our city, And to the ends of the earth, we want to be a part of the gospel advancing to all peoples and all places. And I think it's important that you know that from the get-go this semester. That's who we are. That's what we are about here at Prince. I spent a lot of time thinking about that just over the break. It's been like over a month since I've seen a lot of you. And I just, I thought about that over the past several weeks. It's just my honest desire for you to step into that, for us to step into that. Like I desire for us to be a people who are passionate about that, chasing hard after Jesus, walking with Jesus, and being a part of what Jesus is doing in this world. I believe wholeheartedly that that is what you were created for, and I want you to step into that. That's why we're here. That's why we gather in spaces like this. This is not just another routine thing that we want to put on the calendar. This is a moment where we come and we rally together so that we can continue to be the people that God has called us to be. That's what I want us to be about this semester more than ever. And because of that, we're starting a brand new series tonight through the book of Philippians. 
And we're calling it citizens of heaven. And there's a reason for that. We're taking that language directly from the book of Philippians itself. We're going to get there later in the semester. But in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and through 21, it says this. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And this is a powerful text, and this is the hope that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. What we believe as Christians is that whenever we come into relationship with Jesus, that we are marked for heaven, that we are saved from darkness and brought into light, brought from death and into life, and that our citizenship is now in heaven. We are destined for a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. We are destined to walk with Jesus and be with him forevermore. Our citizenship is stamped in heaven once and for all. But here's the deal, and here's what I want to talk about this semester. That reality, that our citizenship in heaven, it should not just impact our eternal destination. It should impact the way that we live right here and right now. The fact that in Christ Jesus you are made a citizen of heaven, it should not just impact your eternal destination. It should impact the way that you live right here and right now. I was thinking about this just a couple of weeks ago as I was preparing for um, this series, and, and I just the analogy came to my mind. Some of you have experienced this. How many of you have traveled to a foreign country? Just by show of hands, how many of you have traveled to a foreign country? A lot of you. That's awesome. So if you have traveled to a foreign country, you have had this experience. You may end up in a new place that is completely foreign, that you have not been in before with people around you who are a lot different than you, who maybe speak a different language than you. You're in a new place, but just because you are in that place, that does not change what is marked on your passport, right? If you are an American citizen, you you have a U.S. passport, and that is a reality. And that reality, that you are a U.S. citizen, it doesn't just get you access back into America, but it impacts the way that you see the world, right? It impacts the way that you live, It impacts the way that you dress. People can tell that you are an American citizen by the way that you look. They can tell that you're an American citizen by the way that you talk, especially if you're from South Georgia, okay? A couple woos, that's awesome. (laughs) You can tell that people are from America. Like It impacts everything about who you are. It doesn't just gain you access back into America when you're going to go home. It impacts who you are right there in that country. And in a similar way, whenever we come into relationship with Jesus... Our citizenship is in heaven, but that reality is meant to influence everything about who we are. Like it doesn't just impact our eternal destination, meaning it doesn't just get us access into heaven one day, but it's meant to impact the way that we live right here and right now. It's meant to impact the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we treat others, the way that we speak, the things that we commit our hand to, it's meant to change everything about who we are. In other words, whenever people look at you, they should see something different because you are a citizen of heaven. Wherever you may end up on this planet, your citizenship is in heaven if you are in Christ Jesus. That reality is meant to change everything about who we are and how we live. And we're gonna talk about that a lot in the book of Philippians, because that truth, that reality is all over this 
letter. So we're going to dive right in. We're starting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. If you got your Bible, we're going to camp out on that first verse for a while. I'm going to read it for us again. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are at, so all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. And I want us to pause right here and I want us to dig into this first verse for a little bit. This is one of those verses that if we're kind of reading on our own, perhaps we're trying to start a Bible reading plan and we get to the book of Philippians, like this is one of those verses we kind of breeze past because we want to get to like the more, the meatier parts of the book, the things that like tell us what to do, right? That's how we tend to read the Bible sometimes. But I just want us to, to pause right here and to slow down because in this first verse, we see a lot of things. We're introduced to the author and the audience, yes, but I also believe that what we begin to see is how the author wants his audience to think. And I want you to see that. So let's dive into this. I want to, let me explain what I'm talking about here. So what we know is that the book of Philippians, what we call the book of Philippians, is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in a city that is called Philippi. And we actually know a lot about this relationship. We know a lot about the city of Philippi. We know a lot about this group of believers. And we know a lot about Paul's relationship with this group of believers. To give you a synopsis of that, what you need to know is this. Is that Philippi, the city, was a very influential city in that day. Many people traveled through Philippi on their way to Rome. And Philippi was actually known in a lot of circles as Little Rome. That was kind of its nickname. It looked like Rome. It had the culture of Rome. There were people who worshipped a multitude of false gods just like there were in Rome. And the citizens of Philippi actually enjoyed Roman citizenship because of the influence of Rome in that city. It's a very, very influential city. So we know that. But we also know that the Apostle Paul was used by God to start a church in this city. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write that down. Go read that later this week. It's an incredible story of God using Paul to be a part of planting a church. And the way it happens is that there's a woman by the name of Lydia who comes to faith in Jesus. And this is a woman who is wealthy and she uses her resources. She apparently has a great house and a big house and she uses that to start the church. And the church in Philippi begins to meet in her home and it begins to grow and expand. And by this time that Paul writes this letter, apparently it's taken shape and there's structure because there's overseers, there's deacons. It has begun to thrive. But Paul is no longer there. We know that he leaves and later he is arrested. And whenever he is writing this letter, he's writing this letter from Roman house arrest. We're going to get more into that in just a second. But he's writing this letter to this people that he dearly loves. And he's writing to them to thank them for their continued support and encouragement, their financial support, their prayers. But he's also giving them some practical instruction for how they are to continue to live in the midst of the culture that they are in. And we see that from this first opening verse because of the way that Paul addresses these people. I want you to look with me at this, okay? Paul addresses them and he calls them the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. That's the language that Paul uses. Whenever addressing this letter, like if I was addressing a letter to my wife, I would say like, dear Jillian, da, da, da. Like he calls these people the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And this is significant 
These are men and women who live in Philippi, but Paul doesn't just call them Philippians. He calls them the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And whenever you see something like that, I think it's important to slow down and ask, why does he do that? Like it would be so much easier for him to say, the Apostle Paul and Timothy writing to the Philippians. But he says, the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. What does that mean? Well, I don't know what comes to your mind whenever you hear the word saint. Perhaps you have like thoughts of religion and all this kind of stuff that comes up with that word saint. But what you need to know is this, that the word saint, it actually comes from the same root word that we get our word holy from. That the word saint and the word holy, that they're related in the original language in which the Bible was penned. And if you've been around church for a while, perhaps you've heard that the word holy means to be set apart for something specific. So whenever Paul calls them saints, he's calling them the holy ones, the set apart ones, the ones who are set apart for a specific purpose. He's saying that this is their identity, that they're not merely Philippians, but their identity is saint. But this isn't an identity that they just chose for themselves because he says that they are a saint in Christ Jesus. And so from the opening sentence of this letter, Paul is reminding these people of their position because of the gospel of Jesus. That's what's happening here. See, what we believe as Christians is that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them and that he created humanity, us, man and woman, for relationship with him. But from the beginning, mankind has chosen continually to rebel against God and to pursue our own way. We have sinned, and we have fallen short of the glory of God, and that sin, that rebellion deserves punishment. But instead of God just pouring his punishment out on us, that he sent his son Jesus to live the life that you and I could not to die the death that we deserved. Our wrongdoing deserves just punishment, but Jesus stood in our place. He died on the cross and three days later rose from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death, so that we may be forgiven and step into relationship with God. And whenever that moment happens, we are rescued from a story of death and we are placed in a story of life. We are headed one way towards our own destruction and then we begin to head towards new life. That is what happens whenever we come to faith in Jesus. And so what Paul is reminding these people is that they are saints. They are the holy ones chosen for a specific purpose, not because of anything done by them, but because of the one who sacrificed everything for them. That's in verse one. That's so much packed in here. They're headed in a completely new direction in life. One commentary that I read this past week said it this way, that Paul, in this opening line, is reminding these people that they are traveling on a different path and they're headed in a different direction than the immoral society all around them. That's what it means to be a saint, that we're headed in a completely different trajectory. Our destinations are not the same. We're headed in a different way. We are meant to look different in the midst of the culture that we are placed in. See, this identity... It doesn't just change your end destination, but it changes the direction in which you head. I was thinking about that a lot this week and trying to think of a way to like describe that. And and the only analogy I could come up with is is if you were going to leave here tonight, 
Let's say you were going to leave here tonight and you really wanted to go to cookout on Epps Bridge, right? That was your destination. You knew that that's where you were headed. You would not come out of our property and turn left onto Highway 78. That wouldn't make any sense. You'd be headed the complete opposite direction of your intended destination. No, if cookout on Epps Bridge was your destination, then you would come out of our property you would turn right, right on Highway 78. You would drive down Highway 78. You would probably pass racetrack and get on 316. You'd go an appropriate speed down 316 so you wouldn't get pulled over by the GSP that always lurked there, right? Yeah, you should. And then you would go from where 316 meets Epps Bridge. You'd turn in where Walmart is and you'd pull into cookout on Epps Bridge. The direction matters. The destination determines the direction that we will head, Right? In a very similar way, as followers of Jesus, our lives are not just about the destination we end up. It's about the direction in which we head, that the end destination impacts the direction that we head. There's, this, there's an idea in Christianity today that, that following Jesus is just about praying a prayer and like biding our time until we get to heaven. And like trying to be a good person and like kind of keeping to ourselves, minding our own business until we get to heaven, until Jesus comes back or until he calls me home. I'm just going to chill and do my thing. And I don't know where that idea comes from, but I can tell you it certainly doesn't come from here. It doesn't come from God's word. That is not what Jesus calls you to. It's not just about our end destination. It's about the way that we live now. Because we are saints in Christ Jesus, we are meant to live our lives differently now. Because of this set destination, we are meant to head in a new direction. And I want you to hear me really clearly, because every analogy falls short somewhere, okay? And here's what I'm not saying. Hear me very clearly. I am not saying that life with Jesus is like some spiritual GPS, and you've got to take all the right turns to end up in heaven one day. That would put way too much uh, effort on you. You are not saved by your works. You're not saved by what you do. You are saved by what Jesus has done for you. I'm not saying that, okay? But what I am saying is that if you are in Christ Jesus and you have come to know him and you have placed your faith in him because of the finished work accomplished on the cross, then that reality will change the way that you live. Because you have been saved, you will live differently. Because your destination has been changed by grace, you will live differently because of grace. You will live differently in light of this reality. Because we are saints in Christ Jesus, we will live differently in the land. You understand that? This is what I want you to get. Because regardless of where you find yourself in life, here in this season, you're in the Athens or the Watkinsville area, Later in life, you may end up all over the world. You may be a doctor, a person of business, an educator, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother. You may be all kinds of things. You may have all kinds of different identities, but all of those identities are secondary to the primary identity that if you belong to Jesus, you are a saint in Christ. That identity doesn't belong to just a special few within Christianity. It is true of every believer. You are the holy ones in the land. And as a result of that, you are meant to live your life differently. Because you're a citizen of heaven, you're meant to reflect the character of heaven. You're meant to reflect the character of the king. That is who you have meant to be. Our lives are meant to be lived in this pursuit. As we walk with Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus, we're meant to become more and more like him, becoming the people that he has called us to be. 
The rest of the book of Philippians is going to flow from that reality. This is just verse 1. I promise not to take that amount of time on every verse that follows. Okay. But I wanted you to get that from the get-go. I wanted you to see this in the first place because this is a large part of why I wanted us to study this letter together this semester. My desire for us, I want us to be a people who consider not just our end destination, but our direction here and now. You understand that? Like if we're going to be that city on a hill, if we're going to be those people who shine brightly for the glory of the Lord, if God is going to use us for the advancement of the gospel on the campus of UGA, UNG, Oconee, and to the ends of the earth, then we must give careful consideration to the way we live our lives now. Because we have been saved by grace, we're meant to live our lives differently. We are the saints in the land because of Christ Jesus. And Paul is gonna show us this throughout the book of Philippians. He's gonna show us how we are meant to live. And he starts that right here with what Bailey read for us a moment ago. Philippians 1 verses three through 11 is filled with a lot of things. Paul talks about a lot of things. For our purposes tonight, I've tried to boil it down to two categories. What we see in these eight or so verses, in verses three through 11 of chapter one of Philippians, is we see an expression of genuine love and a prayer for continual progress. We see an expression of genuine love and a prayer for continual progress. Let me show you what I mean. In this book, of Philippians, this letter written by the Apostle Paul to the people in Philippi, we see Paul show his genuine love for these people, perhaps more so than any other book that Paul writes. I mentioned for you a moment ago that Paul is in prison while writing this. He's in house arrest in Rome. And what that means, we're gonna get into this more next week, but what that means is that Paul spends the majority of his time literally chained to a Roman soldier. They would have chains that were about 18 inches in length and that he would be chained to a Roman soldier at almost all times. This is his lived experience as he pens these words. But as Bailey read those words a moment ago, my guess is there's no way you would have ever known that if you didn't have that backstory. Why? Because the tone of the text is one of gratitude and of joy and of, I don't know how you would feel if you were like chained to a Roman soldier on house arrest but I don't think that I would be like overflowing with this much joy. I wish that I would. I would like to say that I hope I would be, but if I'm being real, I probably wouldn't. Like he is just overflowing with joy. He's overflowing with gratitude. He's overflowing with hope. You can tell so clearly that Paul loves these people that he's writing to. Like just look at some of the words here. Philippians 1, three through five. He's saying, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until now. Like even in those few verses, like just look what he says. He's saying, every time I think about you, I thank my God for you. Like every time you come to mind, I thank God for you. And and he's not doing this out of some sense of obligation. He's doing this out of joy. I make my prayer with joy. Why? Because from the first day until now, you have been my partners in the gospel. 
This is how he sees these people. We talked about this word last semester whenever we did our series on community. That word partner, like you're my partners in the gospel, is the same word used to describe fellowship. We talked about the, I taught you guys the Greek word koinonia. I don't know if you remember that word or not, but it's the same word here in the original text. It means to share in, to participate in. Paul in prison is saying, I am in chains for the gospel, but I know and I have hope because I love you because you are my partners in this even now. Even though I'm locked in this place, I know you care about me. I know you are with me. You are my partners in the work that God is doing. That's how he views these people. He's overwhelmed with gratitude. He's expressing his genuine love. He goes on to say that he holds them in his heart, that he views them as partakers with him in grace, that he yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is not like boilerplate language for Paul. This is not the way that he talks to every single church on the block. This is not the way that he talks to every church that he writes to. If you read some of his other letters, he's far harsher with a lot of other churches. But from right here, you can see Paul loves these people. He cares about them. He has genuine affection for them. He loves them deeply. And if you read this and you're like, man, that's kind of weird to say that you yearn for someone with the affection of Christ Jesus. I want you to hear me say it. These are the type of relationships that should exist among believers. Like this is the type of love that we're meant to have for one another. We're gonna talk about that more in just a second. But this is who we are meant to be. We are meant to be a people marked by genuine love because whenever we come into relationship with Jesus, we are reconciled to God, meaning that we have right relationship with God, but we're also reconciled to one another and we're made part of a family. We're meant to see each other as partners in the gospel partakers of grace with one another. We're meant to love one another in this way and you can see this expression of genuine love. And I want you to see that first because of what comes next. Because you see, it's exactly because of that love that Paul then begins to pray and call these people to make continual progress. Here's what Paul doesn't do. Paul doesn't just hit up the Philippians with a lot of flowery language and compliments. That would be flattery, and flattery and love are not the same thing. But because Paul loves these people, he speaks kindness to them, but he also calls them into continual progress. Because Paul loves them, he continues to pray that they would make progress in the faith, that they would continue to take steps in the right direction. His love of them prompts prayer for them. I want you to see that, that because he loves them, he begins to pray for them and encourage them to continue to make progress in their faith. Philippians has a lot of verses that are are really popular that you've probably seen in a lot of places. One of those verses is Philippians 1 verse 6. Bailey read it for us a moment ago. I'm going to read it again. It says this. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what he's saying there? Like he's saying, these people have been saved. God has begun a good work in them. God has done something miraculous in them. These people who are gathered in the house of Lydia, in the city of Philippi, are people, men and women, who have come to see the glory of Jesus. God has saved them. He has done a miracle in their lives. But he's telling them, but you haven't arrived yet. 
You haven't arrived. You're not fully complete. What God has begun, he's going to finish. That it will be completed one day, but it has not been yet. He references the day of the Lord. And he's talking about the end of days whenever Jesus will return. And he'll wipe away every tear from every eye. He will set all wrongs right and he will renew all things. But he says until that day comes, there's still progress to be made. Until that day comes, if you allow me to co- like quote Kobe Bryant here, job's not finished, right? Like job's not finished. Like that's who we're meant to be. Like we're meant to continue to make progress. And you need to understand, again, under, hear me very clearly here. Whenever Jesus died on the cross, it's recorded in the gospels that he hung on the cross and the, the, one of the last words that he spoke, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And what he meant by that is that he accomplished everything necessary for our salvation. He accomplished everything for you to be set right in relationship with God. He did that on the cross. It was not of your doing. But he did that not just so that you could pray a prayer and sit on the sidelines and wait to get into heaven one day. He did that so that you could join in on what he's doing here in the world. He did that so that you could come in relationship with him, walk with him, and begin to become more and more like him. This is why he did what he did. He has invited us into something beautiful. And one day, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there will absolutely come a day whenever we stand before him and we worship him and we sing songs like what we just sang. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. He is worthy to receive all honor and glory and praise. We will worship him. He'll wipe every tear from every eye and death will be no more and it will be glorious. But until that day comes, job's not finished. We're meant to continue to make progress. We're meant to continue to consider the way by which we live. Hear just the beauty of that verse. What he began in you, he will complete. This is such good news. I I don't know all of you in the room. I don't know all of your stories. But imagine you're like me, that you have things in your life that you're not proud of. Things in your life that you're ashamed of. And there may be moments, there may be some of you in here right now who are walking through seasons of difficulty, who you failed in really big ways, and you're hearing me talk about how you're called to be a part of what God is doing in the world, and you think, there's no way. There's no way. God couldn't use me. I'm too broken. I'm too gone. And I'm just telling you, if Jesus, if the death of Jesus Christ is enough to save you, it's enough to sustain you. He can use you. And what he begins in you, whenever you come into relationship with him, whenever you... By faith, trust in Jesus Christ. He begins a good work in you, and what he starts, he will finish. You're not a lost cause. You're not a job that Jesus is giving up on. Whenever you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are his, and you don't come with a gift receipt. There's no return policy. You belong to him forever. And what he has started, he will finish. That is good news. There's so much hope in that, that as we walk with him, By his grace, by his power, through him working in us, we become to look, we begin to look a lot more and more like him. That is what Paul is praying for these people, that they would make continual progress, that they would become more and more like the one who has saved them. You might ask, well, what does that look like? How do I begin to look more like Jesus? Well, Paul prays some really specific things for the Philippians. He prays in verse 9 that their love would abound for one another. 
He says in verse 9 that my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Like he, he's praying that, that, that they would begin to grow in Christ's likeness in the way in which that they love one another. Like, and, and you might wonder, like, why does that matter? Why does it matter so much, the way that we love one another? Well, the answer to that is that one of the primary ways that we show our love for the Father is by the way that we love his people. I was thinking about that a lot over the break. My younger brother, uh, his name is Jacob. He's two years younger than me. His wife, uh, he and his wife, Lindsay, had a baby boy about four months ago, whose name is Titus. And Titus is an adorable little child. And we got to spend some time with him over the Christmas break. And, and y'all, I, I love my younger brother. Some of you have heard me tell stories about Jacob. Like I'll go to war for Jacob. Like I've, I've told him time and time again, I've shown him that I love him. But just imagine with me for a second that I'm hanging out with Jacob one day. Just one-on-one, we're hanging out. And I just, I'm just telling Jacob, man, like I love you, dude. You're one of my favorite people on the earth. I'll do anything for you. But can I just... Can I be real with you for a second? Like Titus, it's not my favorite. Like, I, I, dude, he's, I, I get it. He's kind of cute. Like, but I just can't really, hang, I can't really stand him. Like, can we, can we just like hang out just you and me from now on? How do you think that's gonna go? It's gonna go terribly, right? Why? Because there's no separating Titus from my brother. Because Titus is my brother's son, and so in this season of life. One of the primary ways that I demonstrate my love for Jacob is through the way that I love his kid. You understand that? Like, I love Titus, my nephew, but Titus, not just because he's a cute little baby boy, but because I love his father, right? You understand? Like, Titus doesn't know who I am, right? Like, the, he's cute and everything, but he has no idea who I am. I love that kid, not just because he's cute, but because I love his father. And so out of love for Jacob, I love his child. And in a similar way, when we come to faith in Jesus and we become reconciled to God, one of the main ways that we demonstrate our love for God is by the way that we love his people. And so we're meant to be people who are marked by genuine love. And that's what Paul is praying here, that you would abound in love but not just like an emotional type of love. He says, I pray that they would abound in love with knowledge and with all discernment. Like he's praying that we would know how to love one another well, that we'd have wisdom in the way that we love. Uh, another commentary that I read this week, I'm hitting you with a lot of commentary quotes this week, but it said this, that this is not just a, a, like a mere head knowledge and facts. It means having a heart understanding of people's lives that knows their deepest need and how we can meet those needs. Paul is praying that the Philippians would not just become smarter, but wiser in their care for one another. Compassion rather than cognition is his prayer. Like he's praying that we would know people well and be in each other's lives and walk life on life with one another and live together and love one another well, that we would abound in love. That if we, as we become more and more like Christ, we will abound in love. Paul continues and he prays that these people would be pure and blameless. He says in verse 10, that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So what he's praying there is that these people would begin to make progress and continue to make progress in their purity, in their holiness. Again, there's a lot of original language here tonight. There was a, there's a lot of crazy words in Philippians. That word for purity is actually the combination of two words. The word for son and the word for to judge. And what that word meant is that if you were going to, in that day, go buy a piece of pottery, 
the way that you would judge that piece of pottery to see if it was a good piece of pottery is that you would hold it up to the sun and you would look to see if there were any cracks that the sun exposed. That if light was shining through, you knew that there was weakness in the piece of pottery. You understand? But if you held it up to the sun and it was solid and no light shone through, you knew that it was solid all the way around. And so whenever Paul says this, he's saying that he's praying that as these people walk with Jesus, they would continue to take steps in their purity so there would be no cracks in them. There'd be no blemishes in them, that they would fight against sin, that they would fight for holiness, that they would fight to be the people that God called them to be so that in the day of Christ Jesus, they would be pure and blameless. Notice he's not saying that these people would be sinless in this world. He's saying that they would begin to make steps in purity. Later, Paul's going to say that we strain for this, that he himself has not even arrived, but he's praying that we would continue to take steps in this. He's praying that we would live a life of holiness and purity so that we could shine brightly for the glory of Jesus. And lastly, he says this in verse 11, that we'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is what Paul wants for these people, that he wants them to bear fruit. He doesn't want them just to sit on the sidelines. He wants them to participate in what God is doing, to be a part of what God is doing, to bring glory to Jesus. So here, in this opening few verses of this book of Philippians, What we see the Apostle Paul do is that he reminds these people of their identity. He expresses his genuine love for them, and he prays for their continual progress in the faith. That's what's happening in Philippians chapter 1. And I, I was just so excited to start the semester right here because everything that Paul communicates And these 11 verses are the same things that I want to communicate to you. Like whenever you come into this place on a Wednesday night, or you come into a family group on a Monday, a Tuesday, or a Thursday, or you come in here on a Sunday morning, I want you to always be reminded of what is available to you in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that if you belong to Jesus, he sees you as his beloved son or daughter. That's how God sees you. He doesn't see you based on your failures and your faults. He sees you through the finished work of his son, Jesus, and that you are a saint. You've been placed here for a purpose. You've been created for something unique. You've been invited to participate in the mission of God. Your life is not just about making much of yourself and living a comfortable life while you're here on earth. Your life is about participating in what God is doing. That is who you are meant to be in Christ. But I also want to express my genuine love for you. My wife, Jillian, and I, we, we always take time over the December break to just kind of reflect on the year that's gone by and like hope for and pray for the year that is to come. And as I just kind of had some time and space over December, I just, I thought about you a lot. And I thought about how grateful I am for you. Like whenever I think about this, you, what we get to do, I am overwhelmed with gratitude. Like last semester was filled with so many amazing things. These nights have been so powerful and so encouraging. And it's been amazing to me to see so many of you respond to what God is doing in your heart. Your family groups have been filled with so many incredible conversations and and seeing you guys grow has just been one of the greatest joys of my life. I love you and I just consider it one of the greatest joys in my life to partner with you for gospel advancement in this city. I love Athens. I love the University of Georgia and UNG, my heart nation baby. 
I love you. I love all of it. And I love being a part of the kingdom of God advancing here. And I love seeing college students just on fire for the mission of Jesus and, and being a part of the gospel advancing here and across the globe. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. And I'm here for you and we're in this together. But I also want you to know that I am legitimately praying for all of our continual progress. I don't want us to be content with just the way things are. I don't want us to become complacent in our faith. I want us to be men and women who keep our eyes locked on Jesus Christ, who walk with him, who fight for purity and holiness and fight to just make progress, not in our own power, but through him working in us, that we would just continue to make steps in the right direction, continue to become the people that he has called us to be. And I want you to be clear, like, I'm, not, I'm not praying that we would be like super disciplined, like trying to be legalistic people. I'm praying that we would be people who are so in love with Jesus and spend so much time with Jesus that the natural result is that we begin to look a lot more like him. So wherever you are tonight, I'm praying that you make continued progress. So as we come to a close, I just want to ask you to consider your life. What direction are you currently heading? Is your identity in Christ Jesus? Are you letting that identity inform the way that you live, the way that you move in this world? Are there specific areas in your life that you're wanting to see more progress towards Jesus? Are there specific things in your life that you're wanting to see him do in you?